We're closing out a series called No Love, No Money. And for the last um, eight weeks, we have really been challenging families in the idea of relationships and the idea of marriage and the idea of finances. So about once a year, we will do a, a, a talk on finances and and this is it, all right? So if you're a guest here today, you showed up to the one time we're gonna talk about money, all right? Um, but we're gonna talk about it maybe in a way you have never heard a pastor talk about money before. So um, so thankful to have you here. Maybe this will change the way you view finances. But it says this in 1 Timothy chapter six. Listen, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I want you to understand that money is not evil. Having money is not evil. It's when you love money, it becomes the root of all kinds of evil. And listen to this, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. Some of us pursue money at all cost. And the more that you have, the more costs that you incur, the more things that you have, you can really drive yourself crazy trying to pay off everything that you feel like you need to have. Solomon, one of the wisest people to ever live, the wisest person besides Jesus himself, he said this in the book of Ecclesiastes, a time when he was very cold towards God. He had so many women in his life that they actually turned him from God and serving him wholeheartedly to serving these other gods and these other deities. And in his old age and in his wisdom, he looks back and he shares this in chapter five. He says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. You know, um, sometimes I think, you know, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat. It can buy me a truck to pull it. Just making sure you're with me here. All right, so the more you have, he says, the more people will come to help you spend it. Isn't that true? The more that you have, all of a sudden you have people starting to pop up in your life, right? So what good is wealth? except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Solomon, who had everything, uh, all the money in the world, he says, what good is it? People are just gonna spend it, it just goes away. It really doesn't bring true happiness, and which we find in life, which is why so many superstars, so many athletes, so many movie stars, they're still in emptiness and a void because none of that stuff can satisfy the God-shaped hole that we have inside of our hearts. Only God can truly satisfy your life. Then it says in Ecclesiastes chapter six, verse nine, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. <laughs> How many of us do that? Always thinking about the things that you don't have instead of just enjoying the things that you already have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Any of you are wind chasers. We wouldn't say it, but the way we live our lives, we're chasing after the wind. And uh, I, I know this is how I am. A lot of times I am already in my head spending money that I hope to get. I'm like, hey, if I got this and this, then I'm gonna do this, this, and this. And I'm, I'm like walking down these rabbit trails of like this financial journey of things that may not even happen in my life. I'm always constantly thinking and dreaming of the things that I wanna do. And again, Rich or being rich, some of us say like, I wish I could be rich. That's a moving target and it's different for everybody, right? It's different for everybody. One of the richest people to ever live, uh, uh, Rockefeller said, how much is enough? And he said, just one more dollar. It's always constantly a moving target. 
So what I want to help us do is to become rich towards God, all right? Well, I want us to become rich towards God, and it will change the way we think about money. So many of us, we have rich people problems. I get so mad when I'm like working out, and then my Wi-Fi buffers, right? Or you're watching a movie and your Wi-Fi, you get that little circle and it starts to spin. How upset do we get? Like, we want to make sure we have like faster in it. We want to make sure like this thing, <laughs> we, we, we want to make sure we have what we want when we want it. But honestly, this past week, again, I think it was just a reminder for me that there are so many people living in such different, different environments. I got a picture here uh, from Trash Mountain for you. And this is literally a guy uh, going through garbage. This guy here actually lives in what we call Trash Mountain. So imagine like Gadsden's got its own landfill. We got a city dump. Imagine you and your family living in the city dump. This, these people live for the garbage trucks that come every 10, 15 minutes and dumps their trash. These people live for that moment to grab a bag for themselves so they can begin to go through it so they can just get through the day. And then I wanna show you some of the houses there at Trash Mountain. Those, every single one of those bumps you see that are sticking up, that's a house where people live and I'm mad because I can't finish out my basement. It puts in perspective for us what is actually taking place. We have rich people problems in America and we forget about what everyone else is actually going through. I talked to you about the teacher that will travel four hours a day. Teachers, you're already underpaid in America. You're making more than $300 a month. You have people dying of preventable diseases because they don't have money. People who are diabetic are just dying because there's no money. People who have the common cold will die because they don't have any money. Children malnourished because they can't afford Flintstone vitamins. We have so much and yet we feel like we don't have enough. Solomon, he continues on back in chapter five, he says, Hey, it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This indeed is a gift from God. So let me just now bring it to the other side here. There's nothing wrong with having money. This is not a message that says, if you have something, if you have a nice house, you have a nice car, sell it so that you can give it. No, no, that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is we need to put in perspective, gratefulness, thankfulness, contentment, that what we have is already enough. That doesn't mean we can't have better things in life. That's what Solomon's literally saying. Nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with having a great marriage, nothing wrong with having uh, health, nothing wrong with being rich. But what we wanna do is be rich towards God because God doesn't look at us in America and go, oh, poor you, you're not the average American. He looks at the world and we're in the top. We're in the top 10% of richest people in the entire world. Some of us even higher than that. So when your possessions possess you, you become their prisoner. When your possessions possess you, you become their prisoner. Uh, is it flip-flop? Yeah. All right, when your possessions possess you, you become their prisoner. So I wanted to share a couple of thoughts this morning on how we can become rich towards God. That's the goal that all of us would be so in love with God, we would understand how rich we are. So the first thing is this, we gotta think like a steward. You have to think like a steward, not like an owner. And there's a difference between owning something 
and stewarding something else. In Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This whole world belongs to God and the world and all its people belong to him. We like to think we're our own boss. We're not. We're always gonna be under somebody. You're always gonna answer to somebody and every single one of us, we answer to God. He is the one who owns everything. We say we believe God is overall. We say we believe that God owns all, but do we actually give like God owns everything? All of your salary, whatever that amount is, God owns it. Do you give like he owns it or do you give like you own it? Um, a lot of us, we in church talk about this word tithing and tithing means one-tenth. It's literally a tenth of your finances. And, and for those of us who follow Jesus, we would say that one-tenth of what we have belongs to God. Well, actually 100% belongs to him, but we're giving back a tenth because God has blessed us with the ability to work. God has blessed you with the ability to be good at what you do, to be successful in life. And what he says is, hey, God, thank you so much. So I wanna give back to you what already belongs to you. Some people in the New Testament or some of us today would say, pastor, I don't believe in tithing. I believe in grace giving. You ever hear anyone talk about grace giving? I just give out of the grace. Well, let me tell you about grace giving. If you read in the book of Acts, people that were grace giving sold everything they had and gave it to the church. So you and I talk after church, I'll name something after you. You can sell everything you have and we'll take care of you, all right? We'll build a shower and everything here for you. You can live right here. You can be the caretaker of the church, right? Some of you may not know about tithing, but as a matter of fact, tithing was established in the Old Testament well before the law was even written, way back when Abraham first gave to a guy named Melchizedek. And then Moses wrote about tithing. He put it into the law. And then in Malachi, there's a prophet who was 400 years before Jesus who talked about tithing. Jesus then showed up on the scene. He talked about tithing. And then in the New Testament, they also talked about tithing. Tithing is just simply returning. And I want you to listen to what this prophet says because it's the only time it happens in all of the Bible. It says in Malachi 3.10, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it. Try it and put me to the test. It's the only time in the Bible that God says, test me. The almighty God, we never test. He, he never says, test me. Oh, you wanna have faith? Test me and see what happens. God never does it. But here's the one time he says, test me because he understands that our pocketbooks are tied to our heartstrings. And he says, test me and see if I won't bless you when you follow me. We like to say in God's economy, it does not make sense, but 90% of your income on God's blessing is greater than 100% of you doing it on your own. Aaron and I, we value generosity. And a long time ago, we have just decided to automate the importance. So as a matter of fact, when we give, we give online. I'm still like talking with our elders, like, hey, we need to have like little chips that we give when the offering baskets are passes that I gave online, All right? That would make us feel better. Like we're putting something in, right? Like I already did it online. I think like 90% of us in our church give online, right? So I want that. Tithing is just giving back to God what's already his. It's saying, Lord, you've allowed me to manage everything you've given me and I'm gonna give back what's rightfully yours. You could take all of it. 
but you just asked for this. And so I want to give it back to you. I want to live open-handed. You see, when you live open-handed, God can give and he can take away. But if you hold on to what you have, God can never bless. And what you have is all you will get. And you'll wonder why you constantly never have enough. As a matter of fact, I was writing this message several weeks ago, a couple months ago, and I read an article about the director of the Game of Thrones. And I was just totally blown away, especially just the week that I had this past week. This guy, the director of that, that show, bought two houses, um, two phenomenal houses right next to each other. One was for him to live in and one was for all of his collectibles. A house for his collectibles. And I remember just thinking through that and seeing what I saw, just thinking to myself, how much we've got it twisted. It's a mind shift to shepherd and steward wisely what God has given us. So you have to think like a steward, not like an owner. The second thing we wanna do if we wanna be rich towards God is to invest more than you spend. Invest more than you spend. Jesus said it like this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust will eat them and rust will destroy them, where thieves will break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your heart always follows where you give. Your heart will always follow where you give. The things that you love, that's what you spend your money on. The things that you wanna be a part of, that's what you spend your money on. Whatever your heart is about, that's where you're gonna spend your money. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So we choose how we invest everything. And I'm not just talking about finances, your time, right? Your, your, your resources, the things that you have. Let's just take 30 minutes of your week. Some of us are like, I would take 30 minutes of your week anytime. Like, I wish I just had 30 minutes to myself, right? Wives, moms out here. I just want 30 minutes to myself. Imagine, let's just take 30 minutes. That's easily one TV show that you would just zone out on. Like if we're like Netflix people, like that's like, you know, in 30 minutes, you're like, man, that's, that's not even like one full show. We can just veg out on that, right? Take that one time, 30 minutes. What if you took that time that you would just be watching TV that really is not gonna do anything for you anyways. And just once a week, what if you as a family got together and said, hey, listen, dads, you say, this is kind of weird, but let's just do something together as a family. Like, let's just read this Bible. Let's talk about, let's pray together. What if you just took 30 minutes to invest in your family that way? You did a devotion. I can promise you that that 30 minutes spent together, which your kids, depending on their age, may not be all in it. Maybe they feel like this is dumb. Dad, I wish we wouldn't do this. But I can promise you the payoff down the road will be greater than the 30 minutes you took to watch TV together. The 30 minutes you take as a family will be a greater investment down the road in the lives of your children. That's like, it's amazing to see fathers baptizing their children. They're leading the example for their families. You know, in August, Aaron and I, we started that because as pastors, that's all we do at our house. We just have devotions 24 hours a day. It's like, it's like, hey guys, morning devotion, mid-morning devotion, lunch devotion, in-between devotions, afternoon devotions, evening devotions, bedtime devotions, all right? There's just devotions running amok at our house, right? It's just constant devotion. No, in August, my wife and I talked, I said, you know what, this is my fault. And I said, hey, just a couple times a week when we can, doesn't have to be this scheduled every Tuesday night or every whatever night. Let's just get together as a family. Let's just read a verse together and let's pray and let's talk about it. 
hey, let's share some prayers together and let's just take some time to invest this together. I need to be leading in that way. And that's something that we have to do. And if it's not always consistent, that's okay. Begin to own that, begin to invest in your children, begin to have that time because I promise you, regardless of what they say, those deposits you're putting into your child's life, that your faith is more than just a Sunday faith, more than just a small group faith, but a faith that lasts all week will be planted in their hearts. And it says in scriptures that when they're old, they won't depart from it. There might be a time where they turn from God, but they're gonna remember the investments you made in them spiritually. So we're gonna invest more than we spend and that's in every area of our life. Here's um, the last way to be rich towards God. Learn to give or live to give. Live to give. Proverbs 22 says, blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else. So one day you can live like nobody else. Giving um, is required of all people, but giving is also a spiritual gift. And here at Cornerstone, we celebrate all spiritual gifts. There are some people that are great uh, vocally as musicians. Hey, we honor those gifts. There are some of you with the gift of patience and you're typically the one serving in the kids wing, right? Like you're doing a great job. There are some of you that are just gifted with a heart of just um, making people feel hospitable and welcome. And there's people who have a heart to serve. Giving is the same thing. Giving is also a spiritual gift. And you wanna foster the gifts that God has given you. And maybe God is like challenging you and stretching you in an area that maybe you haven't just learned to do. I can learn to give. I've learned to give more and more and I've been able to let God stretch me. And I've been able to say, okay, this money that I want for this thing over here, I can let go and use it over here because I believe that God's gonna honor it. And if God wants me to have this thing that really isn't a need, but a want or a desire, he'll allow those things to happen. I don't always have to constantly give things to myself. And you will see God work in your heart as you live to give. You, did you know that when you read the Bible, Jesus didn't need people at all? He didn't need people. He didn't need Mary. He didn't need her to be savior of the world. He could have just came down and become savior of the world. He didn't need 12 disciples. These guys were jacked up anyways. These guys were honestly horrible. They weren't the people that anyone would pick. It was the bad news bears of Christians. You know what I'm saying? Like no one wants those guys on your team. He didn't need them. When the little boy had the five loaves and two fish, he didn't need that to like give food to everybody else. When he died on the cross, he didn't need anybody there. He didn't need Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. He could have just handled it himself. Jesus didn't need people, but he invited people to be a part of the journey. That's the difference with Jesus. He allows us to be a part of the journey. You see, when you give to this church here at Cornerstone, we're all called to be part of a local church. So if it's not Cornerstone, wherever you're at, be a part of a church where you can invest in, where people are, that you can share life with, where you can be in small group together, where you break bread together, where people know if you're not there, when people know if you're sick and they're taking care of you, you be a part of a church. So when you give here to this church at Cornerstone, I want you to know that when you're giving here, you're helping save marriages for conversations that you're not a part of, but I am, or someone else is you have saved more marriages than you realize here when you give. 
When people put their faith and trust in Christ, I'm thinking of the people that like uh, just a couple of months ago, I led a lady to the Lord right there in my office. You are the reason why that happened. Seven people just got baptized this morning. You are the reason why that happened. When you give to this church, you're a part of ministry. When you give to this church, those children that we're investing in every single week, all the TVs that you see, all the songs that they sing, all the t-shirts, all this stuff, you are the reason why that happens. And those three children whose fathers got to baptize them, even though you didn't baptize them, you're the reason why it happened because you created a place where children wanted to be, where they accepted Christ and now they got baptized. You're the reason why that happened. And you're the reason why we give 10% of the finances that come into this church from missions. And so everything that we did on the mission field this past week, you are the reason it happened because of your generosity. $2,600 for some projectors. We didn't have to call for a vote. Hey guys, can we do this? We just did it because we had it and we were able to, and we did that because of your generosity. God uses you when you give here. It's more than just everything you see. And hey, we got some nice stuff here at our church. And uh, we're, we're like, I, I wish like our church could be like on HGTV, a show like how to make like the best things on like the least amount of money. We're gonna maximize everything around here, right? God blesses us when we just give him what we have. And you're the reason why it's all possible. You're the reason why our church looks the way that it does. Because of your generosity, we're able to create a place for people who don't go to church, connect. Like the couple you saw this morning, I wish I could just share with you the conversations. Pastor, I don't go to church. I never liked church. Church was not for me. Cornerstone's the first place I ever felt like God was with me and that I could just show up just the way that I was. Those baptisms, are because of you. God uses you. So when you look to be generous, you become a part of the story because God invites you to be a part of the story. Now, I want you to understand this. God is not demanding you to give. God's inviting you to give. God's not demanding you to give. God is inviting you to give. Literally last Sunday, uh, they're an hour behind us uh, in Honduras. This last Sunday, the room's a little bit, it's a little wider than ours, not as deep. We walk into the church service there and the pastor wanted me to preach their people. The chairs were set up and people kept showing up and they had to bring out chairs, more chairs, more chairs. They used every single chair. There was not one chair left in that room. There's 200 some, 250 some people packed out in this room and they were all just showed up here and here we are on this church service and they're hype and they got a stage that's smaller than ours and they're singing. And I want you to think about, we got a really nice projector right here in the middle. It was a nice projector. Well, because the room was so wide, you need two projectors. But the one over here on this side, the one over here where y'all are sitting, online you can't tell, over here, there was no projector. It was broken, it was gone. As a matter of fact, they haven't had one for over a year. Over here was the only projector. <laughs> And uh, the clarity on your phone was better than the clarity of this projector. Your computer screen had greater pixels than this projector did. It was about 20 years old. It was the one projector they had, and that's what they used. And <laughs> as I was 
didn't know I was going to preach until like Saturday before. <laughs> I found out I was going to preach on Saturday for the church service on Sunday. And we had to go back to the airport uh, because they didn't send us a bag and we had to go back and pick it up. And as we're driving to the airport, it's about an hour away. I asked the pastor, I said, hey, pastor, <laughs> help me out. What do, you, what do your people need to hear? What, what, can, I, what can I speak on? I, I don't want to just come and do a message. I, man, I care about your people and I just want to, what, what can I speak on? And the pastor, as he's talking, he says, you know, pastor, he said, uh, you know, our people don't have a lot. So they are poor, um, they show up and they just don't have anything. And he says, so I, and he said, I have not done a good job. He says, one topic I don't talk about to my people. I don't talk about money. I don't talk about finances. It's too difficult. People are just trying to eat. I don't talk about money. He says, but pastor, we need money. Do you know that Cornerstone is the only church that supports this ministry monthly? We're the only one. He says, pastor, we need money. And he said, I wanna do a vacation Bible school in December. They've never done one there before. He said, this is gonna cost about 700 US dollars. He says, I don't know how we're gonna do it. There's no money, but we need it. Our people need it. And you know what he asked me to do? He asked me to speak on money. I said, okay, okay. And I, that Saturday night, a group, they went to a, a small group and in the small group, they were actually talking about marriage. They were talking about the five love languages and the small group was amazing. I was in this room, I was freaking out because I was about to talk about money to people who don't have it. And they have to foster this giving heart. And so I just said, God, I need, I, I need wisdom here. Cause this, this was literally last Sunday was the hardest message I've ever done anywhere. And so God gave me this passage of scripture in the New Testament, and it was about the Jews. You see, at this point, Christianity was spreading like a wildfire. And in Jerusalem, Christians were being persecuted. They were being thrown in jail. They were being thrown to lions. They were being lit on fire at night so Nero could see and walk through his garden at night. The Jews couldn't get a job. If, if you were a Christian and you were a Jew, you couldn't get a job. They were dirt poor. It says they were living in extreme poverty. They had nothing. They were just a little bit higher than a dog. And here the Jewish people were in great need. And so Paul, who is a ex-Jew follower of Jesus, church planner, missionary, began going around to the different churches, collecting money so that he could go bless the Christians there in Jerusalem because they had nothing. And he writes to the church in Corinth and I want you to listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians because this was honestly amazing. He's talking about here in verse four, it says, they begged us. Now that word they is the churches in Macedonia. These were some of the newest churches that had been started. So the churches there in Macedonia, it says, those churches begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And then the first part of verse five says, they even did more than we had hoped. Paul had written off the Macedonian churches because as you just rewind the tape there in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, read verse two, 
uh, it says they were very poor in the New Living Translation. In the ESV, it says they were living in extreme poverty. The churches in Macedonia had nothing. And it says right there, they begged Paul for the opportunity to give. And Paul said, okay. And as they gave, he says, these people who were living in extreme poverty, (laughs) he says, they did more than what we even thought was possible. So I gave this message to this church and I challenged him to say, I know you don't have a lot. Any church in America can pay $700 so you can have your vacation Bible school. I said, but we will rob you of the blessing of you sacrificially giving to your church to make this ministry happen. I said, we're gonna rob you. I don't want to rob you of this blessing. I said, but let me tell you this, our church, and I put us on the line, I said, our church will match dollar for dollar, whatever you give. You give 10 US dollars, we will give 10 US dollars. You give 2000 US dollars, we will give 2000 US dollars. Whatever you do, we will match it because I want you to understand the blessing and joy it is to give. The pastor told me before that a normal Sunday for them when they do their offering, a a great Sunday for them is anything around $100. If they get around $100, that's an incredible Sunday. Usually it's less than that. And in this Sunday, this random Sunday where this this Chino, as they call me, it's just Chinese, right? Just shows up to their church and I preach a message on giving. That Sunday, the pastor said, they gave over $500. They multiplied it by five. As a matter of fact, the pastor was praying at the end and as he began praying for the offering, people began moving up and they just began giving. It was honestly powerful. They gave over $500 that day and they have nothing. But let me flip side, let me flip this message around because I was wanting to use the same passage for a reason. See, I told the Honduran people that they were like the churches in Macedonia. But here's the kicker. We are the church in Corinth. Corinth was extremely wealthy. And that's why Paul was gearing up and he wrote him. He says, hey, remember that thing that we talked to you about a whole year? They gave you a year in advance because they had so much. So it was harder to let go. He says, I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you to give. And so church, I'm gonna challenge you to give as well for what we're calling our, our next gen Christmas offering. Here's what I would like to do. They gave $500. This year, what I would love our church to do is to give $5,000. If we can't do that, then we are more selfish than we thought. We can do it. As a matter of fact, I believe we're gonna do $10,000. Here's why. We're, we're talking about this is next gen Sunday. We have a whole generation of kids. You saw them get baptized. They're over here in a kid's wing. We can have anywhere from 70 to 100 kids on a normal Sunday. We have about 30 teenagers that are showing up. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna receive an offering and we'll be talking about Christmas offerings. Don't worry, it's not today. And I believe for our Christmas offering this year, we'll do $10,000, $5,000 for our students. We're gonna send them to camp. I don't want any teenager 
to not have the opportunity to be at a summer camp where they might give their life to Christ. In our second service, we got some teenagers who are getting baptized because they gave their life to Christ. You're gonna be the reason why they get to go. And then we're gonna give this to this church. They already have two projectors showing up this week. We're, we're mailing them out this week. But then with that $5,000, they're gonna be able to just imagine their vacation Bible school. It'll be possible because they sacrificially gave and they're gonna see, hey, the American churches, Cornerstone, they don't just talk about it, they back it up. And we're gonna see God do incredible, incredible things for our Christmas offering this year. That is only possible through your generosity. So I'm gonna challenge you like we've done this entire series and I'm gonna close it out. A 90 day giving challenge. And I know this is the spot where everyone's like, see, this is where I thought, no. Here's what I want you to understand. So far, we've had about 50 people in our church take this challenge. We've had 50 people step up and say, hey, I wanna be a part of this giving challenge. And so for 90 days here, I'm gonna ask you to do, you're in one of these categories. You either don't give anything. Hey, for the next 90 days, just give something, whatever, just something. If you give something, give a percentage. If you give a percentage, bump it up 1%. But then here's what I want for those who are gonna really step out on limb and trust God with your finances. If you're gonna start tithing 10%, here's what I want you to do. We got these cool new connection cards that actually cost as much as their one offering this past week. We bought 10,000 of them, cost us right at 500 bucks. We just spent on paper what they gave. I want you to take this connection card, write your name on it and just write giving challenge. I wanna encourage you because I wanna send you a gift and I wanna encourage you along the way and I believe God is gonna bless you in amazing ways. Here's the kicker, if after 90 days you feel that God hasn't blessed you, you feel like things have gotten worse, everything's horrible in your life, you're like this whole giving thing is garbage, after 90 days, I'm gonna tell you this, you don't have to give it all. Keep showing up here, keep your kids here, you're gonna grow, we're gonna invest in you spiritually. Hey, you don't have to give it all. And if you think this is just a ploy for Cornerstone to get more money, well, we live in Etowah County where we are surrounded by churches. On your way home today, pick any church you see and give there and you keep coming here because I so believe in what giving will do in your life that it doesn't matter where you give it. 90 day giving challenge. There's already about 50 people who have done it. Will you be a part of this as well? Will you allow God to stretch you in this area of giving and see how you can become rich towards God.